don't play favorites. As you know, we're studying the great epistle of James, and I want you to open your Bibles uh, to chapter 2 of James, a very wonderful section of Scripture, and we're going to begin to look at it. We're going to look at James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, 1 through 13. My brothers and sisters, believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you'll become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is God's word. By way of introduction, uh, let me say that when we think about the attributes of God, you know, when we think about what God is like, His characteristics, we tend to think of holiness. We tend to think of justice, right? We tend to think of wisdom, certainly of omnipotence. We might even, if we've been to... Uh, Seminary, think of immutability, that God doesn't change. We might say sovereign, and certainly in a Reformed church we would say sovereign. We would say all these things, and we would rightly say, uh, we would think about His love, His grace, His mercy, His faithfulness. I mean, you could just kind of go on and on. But there's another attribute of God that we don't often talk about and yet is very often spoken of in Scripture, and that is God's impartiality. Impartiality. That is that God is absolutely and totally impartial in dealing with people. And in that way, we are utterly unlike Him. Because you, and you, and you, and me, we are all partial, are we not? We tend 
to put somebody in a category depending on what kind of car they drive or, or, or what social status they have or whether they shop at Nordstrom's or Lord & Taylor or Cabela's. And it gets even worse. We tend to judge people in terms of race or social status, and it's absolutely clear from our scripture, listen carefully, that all of those things with God are non-issues. Let me say that again. All of those things with God are non, non, none issues. They are of no significance at all. They mean absolutely nothing to him. And he calls judging by them, oh, a little bit wrong. No, he calls it sin. Straight up. And the problem is, this is a universal and epidemic problem. Is there anybody here that ever watched the show Undercover Boss? Is it? <laughs> yes, thank you. And the whole premise of the show was that the boss, the CEO, and, and these, were, these, these were true CEOs of multi-million dollar corporations, everything from Subway to Circle K. I know you Western Pennsylvania people have more Circle Ks out there. But Burger King, they would disguise themselves pretty well in pretty shabby clothes, and they'd go, they'd pick out a local store and they'd, throughout the nation, and they'd go in as one of the workers. And one of the things that was fascinating was to watch in that show how the workers who worked there treated the new employee who was the CEO of the company. And they would immediately judge that person because these CEOs got into it. You know, they really would, you know, do the, like, you know, you know ragged out whatever, you know. And, um, and, and it was fascinating. And finally they would reveal, you know, that this was the CEO, you know. And, and you'd, you'd watch the other employees go, I'm so totally. As disciples of Christ, we are to crucify favoritism and judgmentalism. Obviously, this is an important issue to the Lord. Otherwise, James would not be so clear on it. This is absolutely, abundantly clear. And, and I want to ask you today, and I don't want to be over-serious about it, but I want to be scriptural about it. Where in your heart do you, do you find yourself judging someone by their appearance? God judges only by the heart. Only. And we need to be very careful. So first point really is this, is that favoritism is, is incompatible with the gospel. I love the fact 
that the gospel breaks down all race, all social status, all national status, you know, all of the statuses, the gospel breaks it down. And, and, and James states his first principle in verse 1, and this is the caption for everything that he's saying, my brothers and sisters, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. And he's saying that the Christian faith is absolutely incompatible with petty favoritism and, and shallow prejudice. Now, it's interesting that James goes through and he, he hits about four different ways in which this is, is done. He covers them. He says he speaks of personal favoritism here. Um, in, verse, in verse 3, he speaks about paying attention, special attention to someone while ignoring others. In verse 4, he talks about discrimination. In verse 9, he speaks about favoritism and again. And in verse 13, he even uses the language of showing no mercy towards people. I mean, you want to preach a sermon, you can preach one right there. Just on mercy. Right? Getting your petty feelings hurt. How about we just show mercy? Okay, you could have said amen, but that's okay. Now, James applies this principle uh, in verse 1, uh, in verses 2 through 4, where he gives this concrete illustration. And the illustration, you can see it behind me, is of a rich man and a poor man showing up late at the back of still waters for the service. Now, if I'd been really creative, I would have had a person dressed up as a rich person and a poor person come in late in the service and come in, right? And we would have had a chair here, and we would have had a rich person sit up here in the chair and the poor person at the back. But that's exactly what was happening. This is an illustration here where we favor one person over another based on externals. And this could be applied in every generation. For 2,000 years of church life, you can find this kind of judging going on in a church. You know, and again, it might be wealth or, 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 or dress, but James could have illustrated it any kind of way. He could have spoken about just all, you know, we said race, language. What's really interesting is what he says in verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? We can certainly say for sure that financial status is no indication of spiritual maturity or kingdom commitment. And we need to realize that. You know, when the gospel came, through Jesus Christ, and it exploded in the first century. Do you know where it exploded the most in? The slave culture. That was the area that, that exploded most, and that's what this references to. And I don't know if you've ever been in a church, but I have, where the rich people are seated up, seated up front here. I have been in a church where that has happened. But the thing is, we do it 
in our hearts and is incompatible with the gospel. And the thing about it is this, and I, I got to thinking about this, is, is, that, is that this favoritism is a cancer, and the cancer that it breeds is something that is, is, is rampant in our society, and that's shame. Again, I don't want to be all serious, but soul surgery is serious stuff. And, and, and what's important to understand is that favoritism breeds this psychological dysfunction in people's lives called shame, and so many people carry it. Why shame? Because you're saying to the poor man, you don't belong here. You are unworthy here, right? And the gospel says we are all unworthy, but we have been made righteous through the righteousness of God in Christ. Thank you. There's a, um, there's a woman by the name of Bray Brown uh, who's a... Uh, um, she's not a Christian, but she writes on shame, and, and, and she defines it this way. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love or belonging. None of you ever felt that way, I'm sure. Did you hear what she's saying? Unworthy of love or belonging. We're flawed. Shame is an identity. It's an identity, and we can summarize it in three words. You don't belong. And I love this simple definition of a recipe for a cure. I absolutely love it. It comes from Ray Ortland, and he wrote a book about it. And he gives an equation for gospel change and for curing this shame. And he says, the remedy is the gospel plus safety plus time. What is the slogan of our church? A community of grace, a family of grace in a broken world. The gospel plus safety plus time. Do you see what James is doing here? He's trying to eliminate the unsafety part of it so that those of us that actually need healing and help can get it in a church and not have it fostered on upon us instead. I love this stuff. That's how change happens in a community. The gospel plus safety plus time. So what, what he says is when you're saturated with the gospel, with the understanding that we are all equal in God's sight, and every single believer has a high status that's higher than we can imagine, no matter how they dress or how they talk or what education they have, that there's no high and no low because we are all equal at the foot of the cross. And he says, when, when that works into your life, and you're saturated with the gospel, and you add with that safety, a safe place, 
You know, we've, we've, we've taken, gone to great lengths to do child clearances around here. That's just a very small bit of a safe place. But you see, we need to create an environment of safety where it's okay to stand up and say, hey, I'm having terrible nightmares, please pray for me. Thank you for sharing that today, Lisa. Don't you want to be in a community, in a place with people that are fallen and things are messy in the middle of that? We see Jesus begin to change us and we're encouraged by that and we help each other and we encourage each other along the way. That's a gospel community and that's the heart of James's message. And the final point is this. The reason we can see this supernatural change is because we have received the mercy of God. We've received the mercy of God. Verse 12, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment, praise the Lord. And so... In verse 12, he throws it back on you. The law of liberty, he says. You have received the law of liberty. The fact that when you stand before the throne, you won't be judged according to your works. Because if you're judged according to your works, you're going to be condemned. But if you're judged according to Christ's works, and you're accepted according to Christ's works, and you're declared righteous according to Christ's work, That's the law of liberty. That's the law of freedom. Freedom from bondage to sin and freedom from bondage to be punished for my own sins. And he says if you receive that mercy from God, that freedom from bondage to sin through the mercy and grace of God. How are you going to treat other people? Isn't your heart going to overflow with mercy? And if it's not overflowing with mercy, is it an indication that we need to know his mercy deeper in our lives so that we can pass it on to those around us. A vital faith will lead to our demonstrating mercy and accepting others, especially those who are different from us. Those who make us feel uncomfortable. Those who are less fortunate than we are. This gospel mercy flowing freely from our hearts Friends, this gospel mercy flowing freely from our hearts, this gospel mercy flowing freely from our hearts would transform our church, our community, and our world. And that's how Jesus Christ will show us love to the world through the mercy we have.
even for those dressed up in pink. Father, our hearts convict us. We, we know where we have judged others. We know where we have looked down on others and, and had evil thoughts, Lord. And we ask that you would purify our hearts today. We pray that the mercy we have received from you would so flood our souls that it would wipe all judgmentalism and all petty favoritism and all prejudice away, and we would just be one body declaring one Lord with one love to this world. And Father, wouldn't that be a miracle? 